0: Available to players in the US, excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Italy win their second European Championships. 53 years of hurt in that respect for the Italians is over. For England, it was a first final in 55 years. But ultimately, one step too far... Gareth Southgate will now pick up the pieces and hope to qualify for the World Cup where the ticking time bomb of the England DNA project plans for an England win in that respect. I am Jake from What If Football on a sombre, cold, wet, Monday morning here in Yorkshire. This is the 36 and final episode of the Euro Daily Podcast. Thank you for sticking around with this podcast to its conclusion. It is of course available on AirCast, Amazon, Spotify, Apple and Patreon Where lovely good stuff is coming in the future <laughs> Much more upbeat than this podcast will be So starting from August there will be 3 days a week content on the podcast feed Of course News of that in due time Patreon of course Small monthly donation price for a pint here in Yorkshire at least in some bars £3 for 7 days a week content being podcasts and gaming content but enough for that, let's get stuck in to today's show, which is, of course, looking back on the final of Euro 2020. So we can start at Wembley, can With 67,000 crammed into Wembley, and a few who were not invited as well, but they were kicked out at half-time anyway. England reverted back to 3-4-3, which served England so well against Germany. Trippier, Kieran Trippier, was in at right wing-back for Bukayo Sacca, while Italy resolute in their 4-3-3 also... Unchanged as well in terms of their personnel. So the key going into this game really was could England pin back Emerson? Well, it would be far easier to pin back Di Lorenzo because he pretty much folds into a three anyway. And I think that is why Gareth Southgate went for a 3-4-3 because, in essence, Italy play more of a 3-2-5 really with Verratti and Jorginho in that double pivot behind Di- ahead of Di Lorenzo who uh, tucks into a defensive three alongside the... The old men at the back, Benucci and Keeley, any class as ever, of course, as they were in this game. And of course, we have Emerson joining the likes of Borella, Chiesa, Immobile, Insignia up front as well at, at times. And Emerson's runs were going to be key, as we stated yesterday uh, on the preview podcast, rather, on Thursday. So the key for England, at least, was to hope that this would not fold into a 5 2 3. And I believe uh, Harry Maguire had it correct in the post-match interview that England had the better of the first half, Italy, of course, had the better of the second half, and extra time was anyone's game, and it was a fairly good summation of the game, and so, therefore, I'm going to pinch it here. And uh, that's exactly what I felt, anyway, watching it after a few uh, beers down me, but I thought that was a good summation of the game. So, and what start it was, (laughs) just like... Just like in 2018 in the semi-final, England get off to an absolutely raucous start and the plan was laid out in bare for England and Italy there. Kane drops in deep, finds Kim Trippier in absolutely acres of room and it was a superb cross for Luke Shaw. Skimming volley off the off the wet England Wembley turf, post an in-hand a goal from Luke Shaw, obviously... That's as good as it got, as it were, two minutes in. The quickest European Championships final goal of all time. And to be fair, in the first half, I was sat on my beanbag, the accommodating guest that I am, in my house. And I, was, I felt myself sinking further and further back into it. Whereas before, I was hunched over hands on knees, face pretty much touching the laminate flooring in complete sort of uh, desperation throughout the build-up because of the nerves kicking in. And throughout the first half, I was sort of relaxed. I found myself sinking further and further into the beanbag. One point, my head rested on the door and everything was going swimmingly, swimmingly. It was also serene. Federico Chiesa had a chance, of course, that whistled past the post. But aside from that, England, the game plan, which was, of course fast start, incredibly fast start drop off a little bit towards the uh, half-time break and then come again in the second half and the game plan was working to perfection, Luke Shaw was fantastic, Kieran Trippier was getting up and down the flanks and that was really key to England potentially winning this game England give another little move again like that with, with Kane dropping deep and there was so much room on that right hand side for Trippier that you just think that they're going to capitalise again and again and again. Of course, as we get into the second half, Italy changed things a lot, and that's where England's game plan sort of folds, but uh, we'll discuss that. Because after half-time, it was more of a back five for England. It was very much the danger that they couldn't cope with once Italy got into their groove. It was more of a five-two-three. Marco Verratti was absolutely dictating the pace, of the game Jorginho alongside him as well in that 3-2-5 formation that they sitting in in possession and they had a lot of possession in the second half I thought in terms of English names Mason Mount was ineffectual Raheem Sterling couldn't get his runs properly had a decent run it could have been in the second half or extra time they kind of moulded into one at one stage which for me at least was more of a penalty than the Denmark one when he got through And he got got a bit of a knee up the back of the leg, but uh, maybe reputation preceding him on that one, maybe. And um, probably too soft to give a penalty as well for that. But um, that was was probably one of the only times Raheem Sterling drove at the defence, which was one of our key areas to watch when we previewed this on Thursday. Because of the lack of pace of Bonucci, Chiellini, the narrowness of... DiLorenzo, Lorenzo, of course. Um, Sterling just didn't get as much chances to run. Saka did. Um, one very notable instance where he did Keelini on the halfway line and Keelini almost guillotines him with his own shirt, which at least, uh, obviously, this is from an England perspective and <laughs> obviously decisions have fallen the right way for England. So he, he, it's hard to uh, criticise refereeing at this tournament at this stage anyway. In terms of tactical fouls like that... It's a yellow card by the lo- the law. I just felt as though that was kind of <laughs> a bit more than a tactical foul. Almost beheaded him. Uh, Jorginho, there was a lot of talk about him maybe being sent off. Uh, I'm not too sure on that one. For me, obviously, studs are very, very high on Jack Grealish an extra time in terms of up his leg, but he went, he got the ball studs up. Yeah, admittedly, followed through and caught Jack Rilish but Jack Rilish was kind of horizontal because he was sliding into the ball and so it's it's one of them where it's probably more of an orange card and VAR isn't gonna overturn that whichever way the decision is of the referee and probably on the basis of it fair enough and in the end in the penalty shootout didn't matter to him all that much with Jorginho uh, taking that penalty anyway. Um, in terms of England midfield I thought Rice and Phillips phenomenal on both sides of the half. Really, to say that they were really being dominated possession-wise, they were getting out of the covering ground at an absolutely alarming rate. Rice obviously has to come off at 74 minutes in around that stage because he just run he's running to the ground. And of course, then you've got Jordan Henderson coming in, the experience, as we all know. But by the second half, England were completely outnumbered in the midfield. Verratti, Jorginho against Rice and Phillips, of course. Then you have Barella, you have Chiesa. You've got Emerson as well pushing up a lot. His runs were a lot more intelligent than in the the semi-final against Spain. And on the face of it, England just stopped playing too soon. And as we know, 67 minutes in, paid the price. Jordan Pickford had a fantastic save. It was fully behind him. In real time, it looked like a fumble, but the ball was so far behind him and he claws it back against the post and there Bonucci wins the race stabs it in from two yards out and again from an England point of view it's a goal from a set piece a second goal the only goals they've considered at this tournament from set pieces really and um, at this stage the goal was coming it was definitely coming and Italy deserved the goal they deserved to to win really in, in the face of it not being biased they looked incredibly dangerous especially especially when Immobile comes off and you've got Insigne through the middle, you've got Chiesa on the left, you've got Berardi cutting in as well. Berardi had a good chance, a good clipped ball over the top and volleys it if he keeps it down. Obviously, it's 2-1 game over. Insigne, they just could not live with his uh, running, his drifting in and out of pockets a little space as he was uh, fantastic in that uh, respect. And that was probably where where I was more scared for England losing the game in normal time and an extra time when Insigne was, you know, floating around in these... uh, in these little spaces there and in almost false nine-ish really not really a true false nine but he was he was causing a lot of problems in Mobile. he was uh vacant for the majority of the game as he has been probably quarter finals on i believe really maybe in the entirety of the knockout stage his sort of italy form showing rather than his lazio form in that one chiesa as well federico chiesa an absolute huge weapon for italy he, he, there's one instance where this, his chance in the first half I think where he, he shakes off a tackle and you think oh Rice has got him and he, he just keeps on running keeps retaining the ball and he's what a player he is apparently there's rumours about him going to buy Munich which I can't see Juventus selling him at all because he's been one of the best players at this tournament uh, he's a fantastic player created the best chance for Italy in terms of uh, closest chance they had just tested Jordan Pickford which in terms of Chances, Italy had a lot of the ball. I, I think I counted, it was 20 shots. Obviously, not counted. Went back on the Wikipedia page and had a look. Uh, 20 shots. Um, not too many Jordan Pickford saves. There's a free kick save. There was Lorenzo Insigni's sort of cross, which kind of is it going in? I'm not, I was still not sure about that one. Uh, that probably counts as a save. The save from the corner and this a one here. I can't think of any other save. Maybe I'm missing one glaring one, but... Uh, in terms of territory, obviously, Italy hammered that home in the second half. In terms of chances and clarity of the chances, not really all that much. Obviously, Chiesa there. with uh, He was looking dangerous. In He was just picking up the ball in the box and just running around and looking like, like he was having the time of his life. And when he curls that low shot of us, is over now. <laughs> he's on all. Uh, but, of course, Pickford alive to it. Pickford was fantastic for England as well and he needed to be really. And... Um, the only qualm I have from a, an England point of view, the only criticism I could possibly have really is the timing of the substitutions. I thought Jack Grealish had to come on for Mount a lot sooner. I thought, well, not even Jack Grealish, just anybody to come on for Mason Mount a lot sooner. As I said, he was largely ineffectual, but he remained on the pitch for 99 minutes. And I think it's more more not, not, um, not wanting to change that shape from Southgate. And they did change the shape with uh, Kieran Trippier coming off a of Bakayo Saka but uh, by that point Italy had firmly got into the groove when uh, England were in a, in a 4-3-3 obviously Jack Grealish would come in to replace Mount before the half-time and extra time stage and that's probably the only thing that you can kind of level Gareth Southgate with at this tournament substitutions obviously it wouldn't matter up until this stage because it's not been really maybe apart from the Scotland game not really been a performance where you think, think oh, this has been absolutely dire obviously they've gone to Czech Republic, Croatia, those games where it's 1-0 scrappy and they've made it scrappy because that's how you win tournaments and it was a foolproof plan up until tonight and still they walk away not losing a game. Obviously the game though was settled by penalties, wasn't it? And um, I felt that when it got to extra time, I think England were helped out a lot by Chiesa coming off injured. When he came off, Italy were by no means as effective. Andrea Bellotti, I don't think, had a great game when he came on. Of course, he was from the spot as well in the shootout and insignia coming off as well that just settled it that Italy were probably settling for penalties there and england were helped out a lot in extra time by those two men coming off because they were their at two biggest danger men in in second half in extra time going from a uh, attacking point of view defensive point of view the keely and Bonucci class as always and obviously i felt stones and maguire they were very very good as well so it, it just goes to show Maguire, the experience obviously shining through there. But uh, when it gets to the penalties, Maguire takes one hell of a penalty as well. <laughs> and obviously, Benucci scores his. He's got a bit more of experience from a penalty. But what the room when Maguire, the room I was in when Maguire st- goes to take the penalty, we are all thinking, oh my God, because it was a time to drive home the advantage. But more on the shootout later on. <laughs> um, but yeah, Maguire and Stones, I think that is a good partnership. Obviously, Scott has got Joe Gomez to come back from injury. The future is bright from an English point of view, even in central defence, which many thought before John Stones returned to form, that that was probably the weakest link for um, for England in terms of squad depth. And there's some good talents coming through, of course, all over the pitch. Defensively, I don't think there's a need to worry. The, Bonucci and Keelan have got 10 years on Maguire and Stones, so that could easily be England's centre-back partnership for the next few years in that one, even if... Maybe when Kyle Walker hangs up his international boots, if England want to go to a three, there's plenty of talent in there to get to a three. Joe Gomez, Ben White, exactly for example, Connor Cody, Tyron Mings, etc., etc., who Cody and Mings work better in a three than a two. So there's nothing to fear in terms of that respect, really, for England. But on the face of it, on the face of the tournament, and face of the match... The best team probably won the tournament, probably deserved. The best team in the game arguably won it as well. Um, It's just an unfortunate way to lose. Can you lay the blame at the penalty takers? Absolutely not for me, because uh, 67,000 people, probably 30 million people in Britain alone watching this game, hundreds of millions, maybe even a billion people watching on television. There's a lot of pressure to put on. Players that are on the face of it, very young, of course. It's... um, it's easy to forget that when, you know, the penalty takers who missed, Saka 19, Sancho 21, Rashford 23. Balotty and Jorginho probably slightly older more in their peak, but still the correct side of 30 in terms of uh, youth. So there's still a lot of pressure when effectively the hopes of a nation not to be too grandiose about it, but uh, rest on their shoulders. So. No blame for penalty takers whatsoever. As I say, Harry Maguire took an absolutely phenomenal penalty. I think he broke the camera. Um, I hate them camera angles anyway. So that was, that was a great uh, great job by Maguire on that one. <laughs> and uh, in terms of saves, Donna Rummers, all the penalties were kind of at the best height for him. But obviously, if he dives the wrong way, it's it's, it's a good penalty, isn't it? So it's all about you know, Donna Rummers uh, jumping and saving those penalties, diving the right way. Um, Harry Kane's was probably similar to similar to the misses, the three misses, but it was just slightly more in the corner. I thought um, Jaden Sanchez penalty was fairly in the corner. It's just da- Donovan was huge, and he's got a huge wingspan on him, so he's going to save a lot of penalties. And he's got a very good record from penalty save three here, like Gemy Martinez on uh, on Saturday night, of course, uh, not on Saturday night on the semi final, sorry. And um, some goalkeepers are just Very, very good at saving penalties. Jordan Pickford, let's not forget, saved... Saved... um, Oh, sorry, Donnarum saved two, didn't he? Because the Marcus Rashford one hit the post, which is probably the more galling because just a lick of paint away from scarring and the penalty shootout may still be going on if that uh, was converted. But, uh, yeah, let's not forget Jordan Pickford, though. Saved two penalties here. That Georgino one was phenomenal save a bit like the one before the Italy equaliser it's kind of behind him and he scoops it onto the post and that was fantastic fantastic and when when Jorginho misses that you're there sat there thinking a reprieve Um, I went the room we were in we went berserk Um, probably woke up people who weren't watching who weren't football fans on the street I apologise but um, then you think the onus the momentum is on England and then of course Bikai Saka unfortunately misses England lose a another penalty shootout to go with the heartaches of Waddle and Pierce in 1990 Gareth Southgate in 1996 David Batty in 98 David Beckham and Darius Vassell in 2004 Jamie Carragher Frank Lampard Stephen Gerrard in 2006 Ashley Young Ashley Cole in 2012 and for all the uh, success that England have had on penalties in 2018 2019, it went the way of history with this one, didn't it, really? And um, there was a bit of a whiff of the Croatia semi-final. England scored too soon, yes. They were probably the best team in the first half. Tick again with that one. And from then on, the opposition then dictated the tempo, yes. And they got back eerily level, eerily at the similar time. The equaliser from Perisic was on 68 minutes, Bonucci's was on 67 so these are those similarities. But where you can say this team has evolved, where this manager has evolved, they had a plan B. They could change system when it was needed. You felt against Croatia that England were just swimming in the deep end. No plan to fall back on. It was going to be 3-5-2 or die. And in 2018, they did die. Um, in 2021 with a the semi-final, the system was changed. Some may, some may say a little too late. Maybe that's something that Southgate needs to work on regardless there was a plan B there and you can see these incremental improvements by this English team which is why I think there's positives a lot of positives to take for this is of course it's the first final in 55 years but of course they regained that modicum of control yes you may say that it was down to the injuries of Insignia and Chiesa who stopped um, Italy from attacking at will but the changing system nullifies slightly the threat of Jorginho and Verratti who weren't winning the midfield duels as much as what they were in the second half, where they were just receiving the ball at free will, really. And let's not forget it is England had the third youngest side at this European Championships, of course. All the players who missed in the shootout were under the age of 23, or 23 or un- under. And um, in, like, 2018, of course, England took the game to penalties, so there is, of course, that as well, where the uh, the lack of experience in 2018, lack of tournament experience internationally, shone through really for Croatia as opposed to England and going into the 2022 World Cup if indeed England qualify which they should be after the September games against Poland and Hungary which will be probably a line in the sand with uh, qualification confirmed or not really you'd expect after winning those games or not another omen maybe is that uh, France of course lost the Euro 2016 final at home then won the World Cup two years later another good thing for England team this England team is there's not two years to wait there's less than 18 months less than 500 days to wait until the start of the World Cup in Qatar and even at the 2022 World Cup if I'm doing the Euro Daily Podcast or the World Cup Daily Podcast then maybe you could stay if there is an England failure at that tournament you could still say that this England team aren't reaching their peak. Saka will be twenty twenty one, Sancho will be twenty three, perhaps the the big players Foden won't be at his peak yet. You'll have players with another level of experience, Kane, Sterling, Maguire, Stones, Walker, Trippier, etc., etc., Luke Shaw, who will have had this experience and will be better for it, especially getting to penalties, especially reaching new horizons in terms of the final and will be, uh, I've no doubt, they will be among the favourites for the World Cup. Of course, Italy will come back stronger, whether or not it's Chiellini, Chiellini and Bonucci's last games remains to be seen. They could limp limp towards the World Cup there in uh, if they are fitting well, of course, and um, retain that uh, that experience for Italy. Of course, Verratti, Giorgini at their peaks at the moment. Federico Chiesa entering his peak immobile kind of on the back nine but still probably will be Italy's number nine going forward insignia at his peak so there's reasons to be cheerful for a continued success for Italy maybe do a Spain from the early part of the decade of course still unbeaten 34 games it is now and uh, Mancini said he didn't want he's not too bothered about the unbeaten record he wants some silverware to go with it and of course last night he got that and they are firmly on course to do well at the World Cup of course as well Argentina as we've seen they've broken their duck this weekend with 28 years of hurt ending Brazil will be uh, as good as ever they've got a better team than 2018 Germany will have handsy flick at the wheel France will no doubt come again they've got a fantastic set of players there haven't they? been wasn't a generation-ending defeat for them it was more of a kickstarter Um, the semi-final loss to Italy and could be on similar lines to what England did in 2018 to what they will achieve in 2022 perhaps Belgium we don't know what's going to be happening with them in terms of Roberto Martinez Netherlands look to be replacing Frank de Dubois with Louis van Gaal which could be kind of enjoyable at another World Cup there if they qualify of course so there are obviously the usual runners and riders there England will be firmly amongst them as they haven't been at a World Cup really for a very long time, perhaps 2006, and as we all know that was unfounded, but this is of course a different tournament, a different group of players, and positives really for England to look back on in and amongst the cripplingly disappointing heartache that we are currently experiencing now (laughs) as a nation, from an England point of view anyway. After this short break, we will look back on what has been a fantastic tournament, a fantastic European Championships, and look back at the players, young players, games, at the tournament moments of the tournament, of course. Welcome back. So, <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, so, well done to... I can't remember who won the trivial teaser yesterday. That's probably Jake and George again, wasn't it? But, uh... Let's just say I was preoccupied after I uploaded the podcast yesterday. I stayed away from social media for the most part, except to look at those uh, those fans in Leicester Square and, uh, and Wembley way who were, um, yeah, let's say worse for wear um, <laughs> on Twitter, but yeah, I was too nervous to even type. So well done to those guys who I assume got the trivial teaser answer correctly. And I think... Chris Kelly got one as well, I think, yeah. Well, I think he got it as well from memory, but the memories, of course, are hazy. But no trivial teaser, of course, today. Um, I had planned to do a trivial teaser on the player who scored the winning goal, but such is the the dejection that I could not face it. So, (laughs) let's look back on who you voted for awards, such as Game of the Tournament, Young Player of the Tournament, Player of the Tournament, see if they aligned with UEFA's fantastic thinking. Now, of course, Gigi O'Donnarumma got the player of the tournament, which um, I thought was kind of bizarre. I had him down as a goalkeeper of the tournament, don't get me wrong, uh, but in terms of player of the tournament, I wasn't entirely there, really. Of course, I did these polls before the final, which um, might have slanted things, really. But I didn't even have Donnarumma on my shortlist, I didn't have him on my longlist. Either he was, obviously, my goalkeeper of the tournament undisputed but it makes me think that UEFA just decide these awards based on like the last five minutes of action so of course Donnarumma saves two penalties and wins the tournament player of the year uh, player of the tournament sorry um so we have Raheem Sterling we have 68.7% Sixty-eight point seven percent of the votes. Leonardo Spinazzola with twenty point nine percent of the votes. Sergio Busquets with nine percent of the votes. And Joachim Milla with one point five percent of the votes. I've just taken a player from each of the semi-final teams for this one. For all of the uh, for both of the player awards here, and Sterling probably deserves it. If England win the tournament, of course, which we know didn't happen. <laughs> if, if, if England win the tournament, Raheem Sterling wins a player of the tournament without a shadow of doubt in my mind. There. In on my long list I've got Harry Kane I've got Kevin De Bruyne I've got Romelu Lukaku Patrick Schick of course let's not forget won the golden boot although he didn't have an assist Ronaldo had one assist so will that give the golden boot to Cristiano Ronaldo officially who knows um, Genu Arnaldum despite uh, the Netherlands making the last 16 had a great tournament I think uh, he's got a lot of goals in that number 10 position he does play for his national team Yarmolenko yeah, we've got to say had a had a great tournament, really reaching the quarterfinals for Ukraine in the for the very first time. Harry Cephirovich lambasted him all tournament, but uh, he came good. Scored three goals for Switzerland. They made the quarterfinals as well. Uh, Lorenzo Insigne maddened me. I know a lot uh, for his podcast, pretty harshly, probably by me in the end. Um, but again, had a fantastic tournament, didn't he? And he's going on with a winner's medal. Let's not forget. Unlike Luke Shaw, Roberto Carlos, who probably reaffirmed himself with uh, that goal in the final. Uh, Probably up for debate whether he or Spinat Solar would win uh, would be the left back of the tournament. Really, um, he's grown into the tournament absolutely at ease there. Robin Gerson's another left back was fantastic. I felt, but obviously, somewhere back in the left back stakes with you know Miler, with Shaw, with Spinat Solar, obviously because of Germany's last sixteen exit to the mighty England. <laughs> but uh, those my honourable mentions really there. So, young player of the tournament. Pedri won it for um from UEFA's perspective they won it. From my perspective they won it from, of course, your perspective as well, because forty nine point two percent of you voted in Pedri second was Federico Chiesa, twenty point six, who let's not forget only started his first game in well, meaningful game in the quarter final, which is fantastic when you consider He hasn't played too much football, but he's considered, by me as well, um, one of the better players of this tournament, really, and he's a fantastic player. He probably deserved to uh, start more often in the uh, group stages, but there we are. Saka was in third. Important to remember that, um, despite the penalty miss, he was one of England's better players. And again, like Chiesa, he didn't start. He grew into the tournament, as it were, had a fantastic um, performance against Czech Republic. And of course, he was their man in the knockout stage. Obviously, didn't play in the quarterfinal through injury, but to return to the squad and was fantastic as well. Seventeen point five percent of the votes he got, whereas Mikkel Damsgaard bringing up the rear with twelve point seven percent. So a bit closer this one, um, but yeah, Damsgaard fantastic, one of the breakout stars of this tournament. squad that fantastic free kick against England, of course. scored the uh, the superb goal against Russia, which really turned Denmark's tournament around. Of course, after the uh, unfortunate. Christian Eriksen collapse and cardiac arrest in the very first game. Only a couple of honourable mentions here. have. With the age, I've put down to 23 and under. Denzel Dumfries, it seems so long ago that he was lighting up the tournament, doesn't it? But um, fantastic, fantastic player. Probably will get some interest off the back of uh, this tournament, of course. it's um, keen to note that he probably won't play well in a four Um, should the likes of Everton, who look to be sniffing around him, uh, play. um, And a lot of Everton fans will probably be shocked when he plays in a 4 and A lot of their goals probably come from the left-hand side because he's more of a wing-back than a full-back. And another honourable mention is Zabani at the centre-half role for Ukraine. I thought he was one of the probably more understated players of the tournament. 18 years of age. Ukraine centre-half, what a player he's been, Um, yeah, and Ukraine been fairly decent defensively at least in uh, some games and he was right at the heart of it, looking not a spot out of place there. In terms of games of the tournament, we have got... France 3, Switzerland 3 with 50% of the votes. Well done to them and in second place. is their Magic Monday companion. Spain 5, Croatia 3 with 36.1% of the vote. Fantastic games, a lot of them. The drama of both of them being 3-1 and then going back to 3-3 in the last 10 minutes or so. And of course, one having the drama, the shock of penalties with Switzerland and the supreme chaos of Spain versus Croatia, which is just, just magnificent, really. And the... the uh, Well, it seemed at the time a redemption story for Alvaro Morata. Of course, we know that took another turn in the semifinals there as uh, Spain continued that run of being one of the teams to be in two penalty shootouts and not win the tournament. Of course, Italy expunged that record in in the final, unfortunately. But uh, there we go. Two more games that I put in, not for the high scoring, not for the drama, but for the technical quality on show. Um, Just goes to show that... uh, explosive drama like a Fast and the Furious 9 sort of, sort of games there with the France 3, Switzerland 3, Spain 5, Croatia 3 games are more popular than the avant-garde sort of uh, third world cinema, second world cinema of Spain 1, Italy 1 which I thought was a fantastic game. The quality on show was phenomenal of course. We still had the drama of the penalty shootout. Alvaro Morata missing of course. Manuel Locatelli, Danny Olmo uh, missing those penalties, and Belgium won Italy two again. Another fantastic game. It felt like a Champions League game, such as the quality on show sure there. Only got two point eight percent, but there we go. Some honourable mentions that we of course have: England two, Dem- uh, to England two, Germany nil from a, an English bias perspective. It wasn't a great game to watch, I'm sure, from a neutral's perspective, but it was fantastic for me at least. <laughs> a fantastic game: Russia one, Denmark four. Netherlands 3, Ukraine 2 with that little late drama of Ukraine getting back into it. Sweden 3, Poland 2 again, another uh, last-minute winner there from Victor Klassen, who changed the entire shape of the knockout phase, really. There'll be a what-if on that surely to come. Hungary 1, France 1 with the potential threat of a huge shot coming in that one with Vettelje Fiola scoring the opener, but, of course, as we know, Griezmann equalising alternatively as well. Group F was just fantastic on the whole, really, wasn't it? Portugal 2, Germany 4 absolute insane game of football that as were the two 2-2 two, two draws between Portugal and France and Germany and Hungary really and I'll leave you with a team of the tournament well I've got two I've got uh, I've got two so the A team playing a 4-3-3 I've got Donnarumma in goal I've got Kyle Walker, John Stones, Giorgio Chiellini, Leonardo Spinazzola across the back Sergio Busquets, Pedri and Nicolò Barella in the midfield and Sterling Kane and Damsgaard up front, and of course, my B team being Pickford as Piliqueta, Maguire, Bonucci Shaw, Jorginho, Phillips, Calvin Phillips that is, Pierre Emil Hoiberg, Bukayo Saka Patrick Schick, and Federico Chiesa, and all them players, and that's even without the likes of Joachim Meiler, Simon Kier, Kasper Dahlberg, then Stumfries, Zabarnit, De- Insignic Wijnaldum who were also great. And yeah, it's been fantastic tournament, really, hasn't it? No complaints from me, apart from maybe the result at the end of it, but um, fantastic result, positive look back on for England, and thank you for joining me on this 36-day on this ride that we've had of it, and uh, thank you. It has been a pleasure from start to finish, maybe with the exception of the penalty shootout at the end, but a tournament that will probably go down in history as one of the best in terms of drama, in terms of goals, in terms of moments, in terms of from England's perspective as well, and the second time they've ever been in the final. And um, I would normally say at this point until tomorrow, silly, up the three lines, but not today. We'll be back on the podcast feed next Wednesday. So you've got nine days, I'm sure you'll uh, live. Uh, but also in that time, of course, that'll be the Noughties Nostalgia Podcast, but until then... In and amongst, we'll have what-if scenarios, the usual rabble on the old YouTube channel. But uh, until then, see you there. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty,